Hello and welcome, friends, to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, here on your community radio station. We are Forward Radio 106.5 FM, broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn Building right here at 4th and Broadway in downtown Louisville on a beautiful summer day. Summer is here. It's time <laughs> to take off extra clothing and make sure your garden is ready and planted and uh, you're getting ready for a sustainable summer. Uh, my name is Justin Mogg. And each week on Sustainability Now, I try and get folks in the studio who I'd love to learn more from because they're doing interesting things in our community around social, economic, and environmental justice. And uh, I'm great to have a friend returning to the studio with me. And we're so excited to be all vaccinated and not have to worry about masks and excessive sanitation. But the little sanitation is always good. Indeed. <laughs> and that is my friend Jason. Jason Abbott. Welcome back, Jason. It's great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, Jason's actually thinking about volunteering with the station, too. Uh, so we're going to talk about that after we're done interviewing here. Uh, but he's also getting into volunteering in general more because he's recently retired from the University of Louisville, where he was a, a professor of political science and director of the Center for Asian Democracy. And he was a chair of one of our sustainability committees for a while. And that's where I first got to first got to know Jason but he's got he's got all kinds of interesting things going on you want to tell us a little bit, bit about where you're at in your your life stage <laughs> yeah um, sure it, it feels a bit weird telling people I've retired because I'm only 50 I, yeah. I turned I turned 52 days ago and people look at me like <laughs> What's going on? You know, why 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 are you retiring from a tenured professorship? Um, uh, I suppose a bit of midlife crisis. No, um, serious. <laughs> He's got the <laughs> convertible out in the parking lot. Yeah. yeah, no. What it is is um, a number of things. I I uh, went straight into higher education from college without uh, any kind of break. Yeah, and I actually got my first. The equivalent would be the assistant professorship. 26 years ago so right? yeah i actually got the job before my 25th birthday even though i actually started in july and, and so yeah i've been doing it for 26 years in two different countries at four different colleges and you know the pandemic puts life in a very different perspective sure and it's been a difficult time as anyone who has been working at U of L will attest you know we've had to make a lot of adaptations in in teaching in delivery we're slowly beginning to get back to normal but there was a lot of sort of self-reflection that went on yeah. and um Especially, I'm a father of three kids, the two stepsons, 16 and 13, respectively, and my daughter, Amelia, who's, who's six. You know, up until very recently, they've been homeschooled for, the, the, for a year um, wow. as, as everything was shut down for yeah. COVID. And, and that was a huge challenge because both myself and my wife were working from home. So, you know, two professionals working from home, three kids working from home, trying to balance <laughs> that at times was incredibly stressful. It was time consuming. Uh, and especially, I think, for my daughter, because she had just started first grade. And so while she could attend online classes easily, her reading level wasn't advanced enough for her to read the instructions about what she needed to do for homework, etc. Right, yeah. Right. So, you know, unless someone was sat with her working through her homework with her, she just 
wasn't capable of getting it done. So there was a lot of adjustment that took place. And in the middle of that, my wife got a promotion, which means that now that things are slowly beginning to come back to normal, she's going to be traveling a lot more. Neither of us have family in Louisville, so there are no grandparents or right, aunt and uncles that right. can step in. And professionally, while 50 is a young age, you know, I feel that I've accomplished everything that I've wanted to accomplish in my profession. You know, I, I had an endowed chair. I was director of a center. You know, I published uh, over 25 articles in peer-reviewed journals over the years. I've published a number of books, uh, including single-authored texts. Wow. And, you know, I've done media circuit in Britain and, and in the States. And so, you know, it's like, well, I'm not as excited as I was. My wife still is very excited about her job. There's a lot of opportunity for her. So it kind of makes sense for all of us that I would uh, step back and yeah. I would be able to be more of a, a stay-home parent, but that that would then free up time for me to look at voluntary work. Yeah. And uh, after 26 years of being indoors and mostly <laughs> behind a lectern or behind a computer, I want to be outdoors. Yeah. Uh, I want. I want to be getting my my hands actually dirty. You know, getting <laughs> doing some physical work, being out in the open air, and you know, putting some of the ecology and sustainability that I care about in, into actual practice and action, rather yeah. than just theorizing it. Absolutely. I don't. I don't feel like I've had a good day unless I've gotten outside and done a little work. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. And that's why I've been. I've been volunteering all spring long with all of these community tree plantings, mm -hmm. uh, with Louisville Grows, and now uh, Metro Parks also does volunteer tree plantings. And we did just a, pretty late in the season, actually, but before it got really hot, we were doing them in uh, Shelby Park neighborhood, and then, wonderful. And then in my neighborhood in Paristown Point, we even planted up the street my house is on. It was so exciting. And I'm finding neighbors who are into that, too. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people during the pandemic uh, really got into just what we're talking about, uh, whether it's growing food yeah. or planting trees or things like that, um, rethinking their yard, right? Yeah. Um, I, and, and really realizing that it's a valuable resource and not just decoration. It is. I got my first crop of strawberries this summer. <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah and yeah. I, mean, I planted them last year and I got like two and was really... <laughs> It was, really, it was really yeah. quite sad and pathetic. But, but this <laughs> this year, I just kind of le left them alone. And yeah, I've had a, quite a bumper crop. And one of the things that my daughter, my, my six-year-old daughter, commented on, which I thought was wonderfully inspiring, <laughs> and she ate one and said, oh, it's so different to the ones we buy in the store. The f I said, what do you mean? She said, it tastes so much more wow. strawberry. And wow. and I'm like, yeah, exactly. That, <laughs> that's what happens when you, you know, when, when you do things closer to home and you yeah. don't have a, you know, an international logistics chain that you're trying to, <laughs> to ship these things through. And, and they're actually harvested when they're ripe, yeah, right? exactly, yeah. when they're ripe. Yeah. And uh, I think this year just, I actually put a big net down because of the cicadas that are upon us now. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I think that helped because uh, I think I must have lost a fair, fair amount last year to, to birds and squirrels. And, yeah, yeah. and so the, 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 cicada net, the cicadas did me a favor. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy alien-looking things they may be, but they did, they did my strawberry patch a favor. Yeah. Yeah, I keep expecting giant swarms of these things. I haven't run into them. Maybe I'm too much of a downtown person. I haven't gone out to like, I hear like Crescent Hill's got a whole 
whole bunch of cicadas. Well, I, 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 I first heard the hum this, oh, this morning. This morning even, okay. Um, and bizarrely, there's one telegraph pole on our street that is just like Chicada Central. And it, it's, it's like something out of the movie Aliens. There are these, there are these Chicadas that are sort of half breaking out yes. of their shell. Are they still white? Yeah. And oh, they're like, wow. like hanging there. And yeah. they're all up this one telegraph pole. And I'm, I'm thinking, what is it about that telegraph pole? I, I, I wonder whether it was a tree 17 years ago and maybe now it's a telegraph pole and they're coming out of... What is not a tree anymore? Uh, I don't know, but this one place has really attracted them, and uh, the 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 sidewalk is littered with carcasses. Wow, (laughs) it's kind of disgusting. (laughs) Yeah, it is a little disgusting. (laughs) So we're recording on Friday, May twenty first. Just so if people are listening to this uh, on Monday, Tuesday next week, and being like, "What do you mean it's all different now?" Uh, That's where we're at. Then thinking about the the Brood X emerging. Uh, It's such an interesting time. There's so much going on in our world right now. Before we talk about that, I want to learn a little bit more about your volunteering. So you were just out at the Louisville Nature Center, right? Tell me more about that. Yeah, literally the first opportunity that that arose was to do a little bit of help out at the Louisville Nature Center this week. I I actually contacted Jefferson Memorial Forest, Louisville Nature Center, the Earth and Spirit Passionist Center. And I've met and chatted with most of these groups but the first sort of, hey, can you come by and do something, <laughs> was a couple of days ago. And they asked if I could do a bit of mowing, and uh, their outdoor trash container was broken. And they, they asked if, do you think you'd be able to repair it? Wow. And uh, yeah, I had some lumber lying around, a bit of carpentry in the spare time. I have a table saw. I cut it to size and went down and fixed it up and drilled the pieces in that, that it needed to cool. be repaired and and that was the the first thing i also got which was really exciting as well i also got to see the swallowtail school which Ooh. is um i believe the only outdoor school in louisville the outdoor elementary school in all classes take place outside, uh, outside at the center wow. so i actually got to see the little kids and see them uh, doing their outdoor huh. activities, which uh, was really fascinating. So it's not summer camp yet. It's it's actual. It's actual school. classroom instruction. Classroom instruction outside. Wow. And I took my daughter this morning. Just to, there was one piece of wood that I had to cut to size. Yeah. Um, and and so I, I went down this morning just to attach that one piece and took her with me. Uh, and she was at. She said, what, "What are all these kids doing?" I said, "Oh, it's an outdoor school." She goes, "Now that's a school I want to be in." <laughs> <laughs> looks like the apple doesn't fall too far from the it, tree. It looks that way, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how do people enroll in that? Do you know? I think there is a link okay. on the Louisville Nature Center website yeah. to Swallowtail School. Yeah. So you know, Google it yeah. and check it out. But uh, I was, they were there again doing something fun and interesting this morning. Cool. So uh, I believe it's only started in the last couple of years. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And is the Nature Center itself open again? I know they had been closed down. Cause yes, it's it's reopened. Cool. Um, obviously, they have their own COVID uh, precautions uh-huh. um, as we're at that weird stage now where it... <laughs> in between it, times. It, well, it kind of <laughs> depends on each institution does their own thing. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's reopened. 
and the trails have been open throughout yeah. the pandemic, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it is a it's a wonderful resource. It's a it's a, a state preserve right. as well. Beargrass Creek is a state preserve, and the nature center is attached to it. So there's uh, some wetlands, some original wetlands, and there are not many of them left because they concreted most of Bear Creek. I know. Uh, like in my neighborhood, it does not feel like a creek. It feels yeah. Like a well, it, there, it still does in yeah. in, <laughs> in uh, the um, nature center yeah. uh, reserve. So if you've never been, check it out. There's a, a nice little uh, mile and a half trail that, that runs through the woods. And, and Does it go uh, along the creek itself? It goes to the creek and there's a slight diversion you can take onto a smaller creek trail that oh, takes wow. you out to it. Um, but but yeah, there's, there's a little wetland area in there and then there's some, uh, it's very pretty. And yeah. some decent topography over that part of the city mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, it's a really special place. I should spend more time there. I had, I had the director, Rebecca Minnick, on the show a few weeks ago and uh, got to learn a lot more about the Louisville Nature Center. It's like, yeah, I need to check that out more. It's, you know, it's not just, just a place for kids, right? Solar like, panels on their roof yes, as well. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And they even have some creatures like living inside the nature center. They've got some tanks and things like that. It's not quite the zoo. If you want the zoo experience, that's yeah. a few blocks away. But <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's uh, there's plenty of uh, wildlife in in the uh, uh, in the surrounding uh, yeah. preserve. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like they take volunteers if other uh, they people do. are interested. I, I turned, uh, you know, I, I turned up to do this repair, and there was uh, another lady there who was uh, doing some weed clearance uh, around the trailheads because uh, this time of year, yeah, everything yeah. grows, everything grows a bit crazy. Yeah, and of course, it's not had as much traffic as it would have normally had. So, right. just people simply using the trail have not battened down the weeds as much as they normally would do but yeah there's a group of volunteers also that go out twice a week in the afternoon at the moment to do trail management and trail clearance as well great and then passionist earth and spirit center uh tell us more about that place so that is an education uh center that is next to the passionist monastery which is next to saint agnes on baxter avenue um, they have quite extensive series of educational programs, uh, particularly meditation programs that are open to the public. Oh, nice. Um, they do like beginner's meditation, and then there's a more advanced meditation they do. They also do, do some introductions to ecology. They provide a lot of opportunities for high school and college interns to, mm-hmm. to do service hours uh, on um, a small reserve that they have uh, that they maintain the yeah. land belongs to the monastery but they they have spent the last decade or so trying to restore some of the 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 woodland that the monastery mm-hmm. owns and they have actually um, constructed two wetlands because the yeah. area is part of the creek and the lead ecologist took me um, on, a, on a walk through there the other day and we went up to the river and uh, the riverbank is about 20 feet above the creek and he said we shouldn't be up here yeah. we should be down there and the reason we're up here is because after the great flood in the 1930s the city in its wisdom at the time believed that the creek was to blame mm. for the flooding of the ohio and so they put in high banks and concrete banks and oh. flood water flood protection 
And so, yeah, instead of it being a natural wetland that would flood and therefore take some of the pressure off the river, now the the creek is six foot below Hmm. the bank. Hmm. And sadly, right next to the bank, the part of the nature area that the the centre is responsible for, is one of Louisville Water's um, storm valves that they open when... The combined sewer overflow. The combined sewer overflow. And to actually see the size of Mm. that thing... Yeah, it's disturbing. Is disturbing, and uh, and you know we were talking, and he said all it can take is half inch of rain to fall, and the runoff from all of the the concrete uh, into the sewers overflows. uh, You know, sewers get overflowed, and so it's then released into the creek. Wow! Yeah, seeing it up close and personal like that really makes you step back and think like. Wow, in this day and age, you know, we're we're emptying excrement into the river, you know. When I think of that, I think of like the 14th century in Europe. You know, people throwing it out their window into the streets, you know, watch your head. Um, I don't think of 21st century America, you know, but yeah, my own, we still are dumping human excrement and waste into into the Ohio Believe River. Believe it or not, it's still happening mm-hmm. here. Oh my gosh. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Jason Abbott, recently retired from University of Louisville, a professor of political science and director of the Center for Asian Democracy, and he's now beginning his new career as a stay-at-home parent and a volunteer, and uh, we're learning about some of the things going on in the city. We're going to talk about global issues, too, today on the show, so please do stay tuned. Uh, you mentioned, I just want to clarify for listeners, that the Passionist Earth and Spirit Center is on Baxter Avenue that becomes Newburgh Road. That, that is. Now, becomes Newburgh it Road. It does, and Parkway, I'm so. still not quite sure where. I live on, I live just <laughs> off that, and it's it's one of those weird streets in Louisville that changes. Yeah. Its Changes name. its name, like middle Winter of and weird. Oak and, yeah. yeah, I think it's at St. Agnes or near <laughs> very or the cemetery, but somewhere near there. Yeah, so uh, Newburgh. Don't get lost. If you're on yeah. Baxter Avenue, you'll find it eventually. If you're yeah. going in the right if direction. If you pass Kalen's, it's yeah. on the right. <laughs> That's right. There you go. <laughs> well, let's talk about an issue that I know you really did want to talk about, uh, which is this concept of deep adaptation in the face of the global climate crisis. You know, it's really interesting to think about how we as humanity can and should respond given the sort of impending doomness of it all. Yeah. Um, so we're always looking for a way to, a way out and a way to conceptualize this. Tell us about what this concept is and why you think it's so valuable. Yeah, so the, the term deep adaptation was first put forward by a professor at the University of Cumbria in, in England called Dr. Jem Bendel. And it's proven quite controversial, not least because Bendel's paper was not actually published in a peer-reviewed journal. He Mm -hmm. submitted it for publication and it was rejected. And he felt that it was rejected for political reasons rather than for academic reasons. He felt that the message of the paper was simply a message that the academy as a whole, by that I mean, you know, the academy of of scientists and uh, professors did not want to cloud or affect the debate on environmentalism and sustainability. 
And so he then chose to publish it open source on his blog. It has become a global sensation. It's been downloaded over 600,000 times. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he, he's, he's gone far more out of it than, <laughs> than he would have done if it had been published. Yeah. Isn't that um, interesting? And he returns to it frequently and updates it and corrects various things. But it has become a source of controversy in the environmental movement between uh, those who say that it could be an excuse for inaction right. and those who, on the other side, say, look, we just simply are not telling everybody, we're not telling the public how serious the crisis is and how serious the challenge is. Mm -hmm. And so organization like Extinction Rebellion, for example, mm -hmm. has been deeply influenced by this concept of deep adaptation. Which, uh, So, I mean, basically, he argues that the urgency of climate change is much more um, now. It, it, you know, we are living it. It's yeah. not in some, you know, approximate future, you know, we, all this talk of, you know, achieving net zero by 2050, we, you know, people think, oh, 2050, oh, you I'll know, be dead by then, yeah. you know, it's like 25, <laughs> 26 years away, whatever. And, um, and so humans don't really react well to, no. to things that aren't <laughs> urgent. And, and Bendel's argument is no, we're living with it now, we need to begin to, to have a transformational change of every aspect of our life, of, of our socioeconomic systems, of our, uh, our way of, of preparing for, for change, and that change is going to happen, we need to begin to adapt to that change, not try to mitigate it or prevent it. We're not going to be able to prevent it. We're not going to be able to mitigate it, is his argument and mitigation alone will not resolve the crisis so we need to adapt to it and uh you know he he argues that um you know it's too late for us to have the kind of system systemic transformation that's necessary mm. to stave off the worst so we need to prepare and that means uh we need he talks about the need for resilience uh the need to relinquish certain aspects of life and society um to restore certain ways of uh relating to nature restoring certain uh, traditional ways of management, mm. uh, for example, and, and reconciliation between groups that have been uh, marginalized as a result of economic development and uh, environmental catastrophes that have occurred and environmental damage that has occurred over, over time. But it's this principal message of um, the crisis is here now. We need to learn to live in a world that has changed or mm. a world that will change rather than trying to go back yes and yeah. that is that has caused a great deal of consternation among among many um they feel that it veers on doomism and mm. that uh doomism rarely motivates people uh, in a positive way um but you know he points to he he says a lot in the paper about um the tipping points that uh -huh. uh, that, we, that, are, that we are reaching, that, you know, 
it's not just what we have experienced so far in terms of our output of carbon dioxide, but that, for example, the melting of the ice caps is creating an albedo effect, which means that there's less white to absorb sunlight. To reflect so it, yeah. to reflect it, sorry. And the, instead, there's more land, which is absorbing the heat. This right, then right, creates right. runaway climate change in the polar regions. Accelerates it. Yeah, it accelerates it. And in places like Siberia, we're seeing permafrost melting and methane being released. So all of our models will be skewed by these natural processes that are occurring anyway. So we have to prepare for much wider transformation than what we are doing. Mm. I just wonder what my reaction is. Is it a zero-sum game? Like, can we only do one thing? Can we only adapt and not mitigate? Or can we do both? I mean, what's your feeling on that? Is there possibility for, for achieving both goals? I like to think that there is, and, and, and Bendel himself doesn't suggest we shouldn't attempt to mitigate. Okay, that's good. <laughs> um, he is simply you know, saying that too much of the dialogue is about oh, okay. you know, how we can achieve, for example, net zero, how we can electrify the grid, how we can make everybody right. drive electric cars. So much of the problem is framed as something that can be fixed with technology, right. but what we've lost sight of, or what we're not simply aware of, is the scale of change necessary to prevent two degrees Celsius of warming is so enormous. <laughs> and these technological fixes are not here yet. You know, if they were here, if they were real, right? You know, if we had a way of taking carbon dioxide out of the air, we would need to be doing it already oh, in yeah. order to prevent the two degrees C yeah. of warming. Yeah. We're not there. So factoring in these sort of mythical hopes that technology right. will solve everything is extraordinary. I'll give you I'll give you a, a real world example, okay? So just today, the G seven made what sounds like a promising announcement. The G7 announced it will no longer finance, by the end of December uh, this year, it will no longer finance coal power stations in developing world countries. Right? There will be no more financing of foreign coal power stations. And you think, well, that sounds really positive, right? Yeah. The IEA, the International Energy Authority, two weeks ago said that to avert two degrees Celsius of warming, we need, there needs to be no more coal, oil, or gas exploration or development now. Yeah. <laughs> so simply saying we're not going to fund any coal power stations, that sounds like a positive. Right. All, but we need to stop doing all the ones anything yeah. now, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's all of these power stations that are in process, that are being built, even in the United Kingdom, which mm. has led the way in some respects in, in much of, for example, wind power development, offshore wind development, the, the, the government there has prided itself on its uh, the growth of uh, renewable energy. And then last year announced that it would open the first coal power station in Britain for over three decades. Really? <laughs> really, in Cumbria, yeah. Oh. Uh, and you're like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, um, so it, it, it's, that's a way of trying to sort of give you an example that the headlines tell us one thing. They suggest this idea of 
progress towards these targets, which we must reinforce, are voluntary. They're not, you know, that there's there's no requirement, there's no legal requirement for states to meet the targets that they have voluntarily mm, right. set. Um, it, it makes us think that this is just business as usual. All we need to do is transform from one way of doing things to another way of doing things. Yeah. Transform from a fossil fuel economy to a renewable world, a renewable energy economy, and everything will be right. And yeah. what Bendel is saying is no. The scale of transformation is is so much more than that. It will affect. It needs to affect every area of life, and especially for us in the rich world. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not so much for the vast majority of humanity who are already living close to the land, already have a pretty small carbon footprint. Um, uh, absolutely. But for those of us here in the areas of privilege, even in, even in a place like Louisville or Kentucky, which certainly has its poverty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, our average carbon footprint is just ridiculously through the roof. Uh, our, we become accustomed to a style of living that is way out of balance. Um, and so I, I deeply resonate with with that message uh, that it's not just about switching fuels. Yeah. You know, it, we, we have to see a much more radical change, not just to fight climate change, but for sustainability in general. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like, when we talk, just for example, when we talk about transforming transportation, one of yeah. the areas of transforming transportation is to move everybody, or the, the, the business as usual model, is to move everybody from fossil fuel driven cars to electric cars um coal driven cars at this point <laughs> right and so okay what about the lithium that's mined for the batteries exactly if you are going to suddenly have 80 90 percent of all vehicles on the road all new vehicles sold to be battery driven that's uh, a lot of mining that's a lot of mining and <laughs> we know that and lithium what? mining has a whole yeah. set of environmental problems yeah. associated with it you know, and even if the power was coming from a renewable source, which it's not, right? Like, yeah. we are to produce the electricity we already need without electrifying all of our huge transportation. We're still nowhere near, uh, you know, 100% renewable. We're not even near 10% in Louisville or Kentucky or most of the country, right? Mm -hmm. So we're we're just going to be driving on fossil fuels for even longer, right? Until eventually the dream of someday electrifying everything right okay but you still haven't addressed the vast majority of the problems with reliance on private automobiles right mm -hmm. exactly. that have nothing to do with how they're fueled it has to do with how many people they kill how dangerous they are how expensive they are right what a ridiculous burden to put for society to put on every household you have to own one and maintain one of these big expensive things which are only more expensive if you think about electric ones right <laughs> Uh, you think about the sedentary diseases that they instill in us, right? Like ma making our lives sedentary. That's a huge problem in Louisville. Well, you think about all the wildlife killed. You think about all the pavement. That's a fossil fuel, right? Exactly. I mean, if you Come think on. about you know, if, if all you're doing is changing your power source, you're not transforming the economy in a way that is going to be sustainable. And and I actually even question the, the use of the term sustainable because yeah. I think the term sustainable development now has, has kind of come to mean something that it never was intended to mean. It's come to mean sustaining the way of life that we enjoy. Right. And that is not 
how it was intended right. to be to yeah. mean. I, I think a much more useful concept would be uh, a concept of something like restorative development mm -hmm. that regenerative we do, development. regenerative yeah. development mm -hmm. exactly, mm -hmm. where we're not depleting resources yep. but yep. we're regenerating them. We're restoring land. We're yeah. restoring wilderness. We're re restoring some kind of balance between ourselves as a species and other species that we inhabit this planet with. You know and and to do that, well, you're not going to do that by, you know, driving an electrified Hummer. You're, you're <laughs> going to do that by stopping ex-bourbon sprawl, exactly. by making people live more closely together in more, you know, in communities that are connected by, you know, bicycle, by by. by clean public transport, etc. Yeah, you yeah. know, when uh, you, you encourage people don't need to fly. I mean, I was, it was remarkable. In exa another example, I was on, um, I, I, I was in Seattle recently. I, I, I took a, a flight, and one of the things that surprised me was that United has got this big advertising campaign that it is going to be, uh, that it, as an airline, wants to be net zero by 2050. And I just couldn't get my head around the contradictions of that. <laughs> and all of the adverts have, you know, a nice big green planet and trees. And, and I'm like, in a plane? Me? In a plane? In a, what they mean is they'll offset everything, yeah, right? Yeah, right? And we know that there's all sorts of problems with offsets. Yeah. And yeah. that's a, another, a topic of another conversation. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that what Extinction Rebellion is trying to do in its its uh, particular unique style of protest is to drive home the urgency of now. We can't wait. Change has to occur now, and that change has to be systemic. It has to be transformative. It, it can't just be greenwashing everything mm -hmm. that's not enough mm -hmm. and so yes you know i'm glad that we have a president now who is talking about climate change who's talking about net zero who's talking about electrification but it's still woefully inadequate mm -hmm. especially when you know they they lack the votes in the senate to fundamentally begin the kind of policies that we need to even come anywhere near the targets that you know he is proposing i'm speaking today with jason abbott he's a, a return guest to the show here on sustainability now uh when he was here last he was a professor of political science at university of louisville he's recently retired and become a stay-at-home parent and a volunteer uh, for community organizations. Uh, we're talking about the concept of deep adaptation. Uh, folks can find this text online, right? Yes, it's freely available online. If they type deep adaptation, they'll find it. Or if they type in uh, Jem Bendel, that's J-E-M, first name, surname is Bendel, B-E-N-D-E-L-L. -L. It's widely available. You can download it as a PDF. It's free to share, free to, uh, um, free to download. Okay. And I, I, I wonder if he has mentioned or if you've thought about this concept. I feel like part of this deep adaptation is we, especially in America, but maybe it's true in the West in general, we need to change our conception of ourselves from being we're all consumers to being producers. And mm -hmm. to me, that's getting back to this concept of regenerative economy, right? Uh, if, if you're not participating in producing 
something sustainably, uh, then that means you're just a taker, right? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm a producer because I go to a job and I make money, right? Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, we got to do more than just make money. I suppose you could invest your money in sustainable things and, and this kind of transition we need. But I also feel like we all need to be makers and, and repairers. Yes. Uh, not just of nature, but of our own things. And, of course, we're losing the right to repair in, in our modern economy as yeah. well. Well, and it, a problem made even worse by the fact that corporations have built obsolescence into everything we buy and they've made that obsolescence window even shorter than it was there's no you know it's not a surprise that you can find people still using refrigerators that were built 30 years ago even though they're terrible for the environment (laughs) they still work you know and whereas something you buy today is probably going to break down before the extended warranty yeah 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 you bet um but yeah i think the right to repair is is enormously important you know so much of what we buy is now in a sealed uh, unit. It's a black box, yeah. Yeah, and we uh, are simply... Not, you think, for example, something is... Uh, think, for example, an automobile. Yeah, the classic example. <laughs> you need you need to plug it into a computer in order to know what's wrong with it, which is uh, which is, is, is crazy in and of itself. But, yes, yeah, so the right to repair is fundamental. I agree with you completely on, on the idea that we should learn to make. I think, you know, this is this is the point with deep adaptation is that the, the type of change that we need is a change that is dramatic, is a change that affects every aspect of our life, including the core values that we have as a society. You know, we measure so much of our progress as a species, as individuals, by our net worth, by what we accumulate in our life of work, by what we consume, by how big our house is, how many cars we have, how many garages we have, what our square footage of home is. Mm. And, you know, each generation is fed this idea that they should be entitled to a better life, better meaning more stuff than the generation before them. You know, uh, I was struck by uh, statistics that showed, you know, that the average home size in the 1970s um, was a little over, uh, in the United States, that is, was a little over 1,100 square feet. Wow. Right? Wow. And today, you know, it's <laughs> approaching 2,000. And in Louisville, in parts of Louisville, people are buying three, 4,000 square foot sure. McMansions. And, you know, you have to start asking yourself, how much is enough? Yeah. You know? And, and is it really bringing you... More joy. More joy. Yeah. Come on. And, and if we start to question that, then we're challenging values. You know? And so this idea of making... Yeah, I mean, it's like I, I love the way now people are beginning to stress that, you know, rather than simply recycling (laughs) maybe what we need to do is repurpose something before we throw it away or reuse right recycling is is again part of that kind of greenwashing of the problem so oh, don't worry about all the plastic that you have you can throw it in an orange bin just put it in a different and bin. it'll be yeah. turned into another plastic bottle well. or actually it won't be <laughs> it'll be degraded and degraded yeah. and degraded but rather than saying well why don't we use glass which is reusable yeah actually glass bottles can almost indefinitely be repurposed um, or why don't we just simply repair clothes, reuse yeah. clothes, you know, make things. The skills of, like you mentioned gardening, you yeah. know, the simple skills of growing vegetables have yeah. been lost to, to generations. The simple skills of, oh, I've got a, my, my favorite 
my favorite jeans have got a hole in. Oh, I've got to throw them away. Yeah. Well, no, you, you can you can patch them. And there's actually this wonderful um, Japanese style of repairing. I can't yeah. remember the name of it, but some of your your listeners may may have come across. There's a, there's a lot of like really cool Instagram feeds on <laughs> on this like turning the hole into the beginning of a form of artwork Ooh. in the repair. So, you know, and at its, like, um, extreme example, the, the, you know, the jacket or the trousers or whatever becomes the sum of all the repairs. So it becomes even more unique yeah. because you have, you know, have embroidered it as you've repaired yeah, it. And, like a beautiful uh, quilt. It's, yeah. it's wonderful. Huh. But, you know, it's that kind of transformation writ large. And, and so this is why... Bendel is saying, look, you know, we need that now. It's not happening now. So we need to begin yeah. to accept that, you know, we need to build resilience into our systems. Mm -hmm. So, you know, why are we building new housing mm -hmm. in Florida when it's going to be underwater in 25 years? Mm -hmm. You know, we need to be changing as a result of recognizing that this change is coming. Yes, we can, can mitigate some of it, but we also need to adapt to it. Check it out online, Deep Adaptation. We're nearing the end of our time, and it's flown by. But I, I can't let a political scientist leave the room without having a brief conversation about what's top of mind in terms of political science right now, in my mind, which is the Palestine-Israeli flare-up. This is a 75-year problem, right? Uh, but you want to share your thoughts on it today? today? What's what's brought it up now? And, and what's a way forward on this? Well, um, the way forward, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a, a magic wand. <laughs> it, it has, nobody it, seems it, to. Nobody does. <laughs> it, you know, the, 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 the Arab-Israeli problem, the Palestinian-Israeli problem has bedeviled world politics uh, since the state of Israel was founded, and even before then, you know, it, this this part of the world was uh, fought over by different empires for centuries, and you know, is the home of yeah. three of the world's major religions. But in terms of what has happened like recently, why now? I think it's it's uh, it's no surprise that it comes at a point of political turmoil in Israel. Israel has had. Uh, numerous elections over the last few years that have been uh, indecisive, that have not produced a government. Um, currently, um, we are in a process where the opposition in Israel is has been tasked with trying to form a coalition government because the, uh, the incumbent Prime Minister Netanyahu and his Likud party were unable to get enough votes to form a government. And I think because it's, it's a parliamentary system. Because of their system, yes. Yeah. The, Israel has a, a proportional system, and so uh, if is, a party gets thirty percent of the vote, they get thirty percent of the seats in the in the house. So it is extraordinarily unusual in a proportional system for any one party to have enough seats to form a government. They need other parties to to get over the halfway point. They need a coalition. And, uh, that and nobody pro wants to work with it. Well, <laughs> it, he is bedeviled with all sorts of corruption scandals. Yeah. He's been leader of Israel now for nearly two decades. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 
what what I think we've seen in these indecisive elections over the last four years is that there's no obvious um, alternative that people would prefer mm. to Netanyahu. Mm. Deeply unpopular as he is, no one party or no one person has emerged. So in the middle of this crisis where his opponents are trying to form a government, a government that it was rumoured might include an, an Arab political party. Oh, really? For the first time, all of a sudden, <laughs> there's a war on the home front. There's, yeah. a, there's a resurgence of violence and... Netanyahu gets to play the hawk that he has a reputation for playing. And I think what's different with this conflict is simply the the scale of Israel's response has been overwhelmingly criticized for its disproportionality. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a death toll of 12 Israelis against over 200 Palestinians. Collective punishment, basically. Yes, and that, that in these conflicts, there, you know, there is an, an, an existential crisis, an existential challenge to the state of Israel from an Islamic party, Hamas, that refuses to accept Israel's right to exist and and routinely fires missiles at major cities. And I mean, if we lived in a city like Louisville, when there were rockets being fired at us day and night, we would feel emboldened to strike back. You know, we we we've, we saw that with 9-11 exactly. and, and the Afghan yeah, war. Yeah. But I think this time it is that scale of disproportionality that has really changed something about the dialogue. I mean, it's the first time I can remember in, a, in, in memory where, you know, Prominent Democrats have openly mm-hmm. criticized the bipartisan approach to yeah. supporting Israel and, and providing Israel with aid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, you even some voices on the right are joining in the criticism as well. You know, apparently Gerald Rivero on CNN the other day, uh, sorry, on Fox the other day, wow. was, was condemning... <laughs> uh, USA to Israel in the in the current situation and had to be wow. shut up by Hannity. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it it is something different. You know, and and sixty five children among those two hundred and thirty two dead yep. in Palestine right. as well. Yep. You know, it's not just fighters, right? These are yeah. I mean, people. I mean, how, I mean, the, the infrastructure of, of of Gaza is so depleted by decades of struggle that it's hard to believe that there's any meaningful targets for for the for, the, for this response yeah. you know there are tunnels that are used to yeah. ship weapons in but you know there's also a shortage of hospital supplies there's a shortage of fresh water uh, unemployment in the gaza is a, is the highest in the entire world it's over 60% you know they I mean these people are, are living effectively in in an isolated community yeah huge person well, I wish we could talk more about it, and it's a huge issue. I can't believe I brought it up right at the end of our time. But uh, that's all we have time for today. Uh, th- maybe we'll have to have you back again, Jason. <laughs> uh, and I'm excited about the possibility of you volunteering for the station as well. So uh, we'll be in close touch. And yeah. thank you for taking the time to join me today. Thank you for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. All right. Stay tuned, everyone. Coming up in just a second, your community action calendar. This is the week for you to get engaged in sustainability. So get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friends. Stay tuned.
We're back here on Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg, listening to the sweet tunes of Apple Latin. Many thanks to them for giving us permission to use their great local music on the podcast versions of our programs, which you can find archived at forwardradio.org. And that is the place to go to become a part of this community radio station as well. We need your support to stay on air and we need your volunteer power to make programming like this a reality. So go to forwardradio.org and see how you can become a part of this great station. Well, get your pencils sharpened and your calendars out, my friends. It is time to take action this week for sustainability, and we are wrapping up Bike Month this week. And Louisville Metro Government is celebrating Bike Month 2021 by encouraging people to bike more while gaining input on the future of our citywide Louvelo Bike Share program. You can celebrate with a free one-day pass to Louvelo. Download the Transit app on your smartphone. Use the code BIKEMONTH2, that's the number two, and receive a free 24-hour pass for unlimited 60-minute rides on Louvelo this month. And you can also win a free e-bike by taking the survey that is available online. To learn more, go to facebook.com slash bike.louisville. And again, download the app at louvelo.com and find the link to the survey at facebook.com slash bike.louisville. Well, coming up on Wednesday, May 26th at 10 a.m., there's a couple great opportunities for some online programs. First, there's a virtual program, The Birds of Bernheim, and you can join us for this free program as Bernheim's Director of Conservation, Andrew Barry, a former guest on this radio program, and Natural Areas Manager Evan Patrick discuss Bernheim's ongoing bird research, including the pair of golden eagles that Bernheim tracks on their migrations to and from Canada and the newly installed MODIS bird tracking system. They'll also share information about their land stewardship efforts over the last 91 years and strategies for the future as large forest blocks like Bernheim become increasingly important for clean air, water, and so much more. You can register for this free virtual program that is Wednesday the 26th, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. at bernheim.org. That's B-E-R-N-H-E-I-M.org. Now, if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, well, the Jefferson County Cooperative Extension Service is kicking off their free virtual spring-summer classes uh, every Wednesday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And coming up this May 26th, it's a free virtual class on periodic cicadas. You can join horticulture technicians uh, to learn all about periodic cicadas. This class is being held via Zoom, and you got to register in advance to receive the login information. So go to facebook.com slash Jefferson Co Extension, Jefferson Co Extension uh, to register for that event. And then mark your calendars for every Wednesday coming up. Uh, June 2nd, there's going to be making a patio planter. On June 16th, it'll be common garden insects, who they are and what they do. There'll also be classes later in the summer on disease in the garden, uh, composting and scouting for vegetable diseases and insects in your garden. If you have any questions, you can call 502-569-2344. Or again, go to get more information and register for these free Wednesday 10 a.m. virtual classes at facebook.com slash Jefferson Co. Extension. 
Coming up on Friday and every Friday at noon, the University of Louisville Garden Commons invites everyone out to their summer work days at the Garden Commons, which is located at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall, just east of the Speed Art Museum. All are welcome at our weekly group work days in UofL's Organic Garden at the southwest corner of Strickler Hall. And it is also right across the walkway from the biology department's Corfidge Native Plant Garden, which is a beauty to behold. Hold. You can join us to learn by doing how to grow hyper local, super delicious vegetables, herbs, and fruits. And right now is strawberry and asparagus and mint season and greens. So many delicious salad greens are coming up in the garden. Anyone can work in the garden anytime, but we gather together every Friday at noon throughout the entire summer to plant, weed, water, and harvest. There's no prior experience necessary. This is a learning space for all. Tools and gloves are provided, and the Garden Commons is open to participation anytime from students, faculty, staff, and community members as well. And everyone who comes is welcome to a share in the harvest. You can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability, and we hope to see you out on Fridays at noon at the Garden Commons at the University of Louisville. Also on Friday, May 28th, from 1 to 6 p.m., the Louisville Community Grocery is having a fresh Friday pop-up at St. George's Episcopal Church out at 26th and Oak Street. Pop-up shops bring fresh local produce and other products and Louisville Community Grocery products to local venues around the community. We bring friends, families, and farmers together to meet our neighbors to improve food access and to learn how to better serve each neighborhood as we build a community-owned cooperative grocery together. These Fresh Friday pop-up shops are your opportunity to support the development of a community-owned cooperative grocery in downtown Louisville while picking up treats like fresh produce grown by local farmers or other locally made products, as well as Louisville Community Grocery t-shirts and cloths, shopping bags. Pop-ups also feature cooking demos and a chance to get all your questions answered about cooperative ownership. So come on out this Friday the 28th from 1 to 6 p.m. at St. George's Episcopal Church at 26th and Oak Street. This Friday the 28th, they will be featuring a plant sale as well as the great cooking demo. They'll also be selling rain barrels. Uh, get your rain capture system going. And there'll be fresh food and delicious local products from this month's featured vendors being together, providing great honey and bee products, as well as George's Sweet Potato Pie Company. Fantastic sweet potato pies will be available at the Louisville Community Grocery Pop-Up Shop, the Friday Fresh Friday Pop-Ups on Friday, May 28th, 1 to 6 p.m. at 26 and Oak, and there'll be one on June 25th from noon to 6 p.m. at the Joshua Tabernacle Baptist Church on 15th Street at Muhammad Ali. You can learn more at louisvillecommunitygrocery.com and you can find the event link at facebook.com slash louisvillecommunitygrocery. Now, on Saturday, May 29th, uh, the, the Kentucky Resources Council will be hosting a guided hike out at Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest at 10 a.m. on Saturday the 29th. Get outside, explore nature, and join Kentucky Resources Council for a guided hike. This will be led by KRC board member Madison Carter. We'll be taking the Cull Hollow Loop, a 1.5-mile trail with varying elevations winding through many ridges and mounds. Meet at 10 a.m. outside 
outside and in front of the Visitor's Center. All ages are welcome. You can learn more and register at kyrc.org. That's kyrc.org for the Saturday 10 a.m. Bernheim hike. On Sunday and every Sunday from noon to 2, the University of Louisville has a community composting volunteer day at 250 East Bloom Street. That's one block north of Cardinal Boulevard between Brook and Floyd. You can come help us turn trash into treasure as we manage UofL's volunteer-powered community composting operation. Dressed to get dirty, but tools will be provided. You can learn about worm composting, and all participants are welcome to haul back home some rich UofL compost for your own gardening projects in whatever container or vehicle you bring. This is a weekly service opportunity throughout the year, and you can learn more at louisville.edu slash sustainability. And lastly, I want to let you know that on Tuesday, June 1st at 6 p.m., Lots of Food is hosting a Jamming with Wild Berries workshop. It'll start and finish at the Louisville Grows Healthy House at 1641 Portland Avenue. Lots of Food is delighted to host this berry picking and jam making workshop again this year on June 1st at 6 p.m. We'll walk and pick berries, then return to the Healthy House to make a delicious and easy jam. Participants will receive a jar of jam to take home and easy recipe to make their own jam throughout the season. There is a fee to join and the capacity is limited to 10 people so get your tickets now at louisvillelotsoffood.com louisvillelotsoffood.com And that is all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. I thank you all for tuning in and I wish you the best in this coming week my friends. Be well. Be well.